Praise God. Amen. If you'll turn, first of all, uh, to Ephesians chapter 3. I was going to start somewhere else, but I, I, I feel like I need to start in Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 20. Last Sunday, I talked about the power that God is sending your way continually without any interruption. And that is the resurrection power of the Almighty God. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is given to you. It's given to me. I title it, Oh, the Power. And when we meditate on the power of God, we understand why He's called God. Because He's all-powerful. He is the creator and the sustainer of all the universe. He holds all things together by the word of His power. Just one word from God. Just one word from God created light. And that light has been expanding in all directions at the speed of, you know, 5,285 million miles a second. I don't know. I forgot. Speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. That's fast in all directions. Ever since he said it the first time. He hadn't had to say it since. 186,000 miles per second in all directions without ending. Light has been expanding. That's how fast and how long the universe has been expanding. From one word out of God's mouth. Light be. Amen. Amen. Woo. That's power. That's power. The same God has told his power to come into you. And he doesn't have to say it over and over and over again. Just like light, God says, Holy Ghost, go to my church. And on the day of Pentecost, when it was fully come, the Holy Spirit came and entered into all of the believers that were present. And he has been filling his believers with the Holy Spirit ever since. God said in Peter's sermon, even, Peter said, this, this, uh, this is that which was promised and prophesied by the prophet Joel in the last days, I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. God said it to Joel. Joel prophesied it, and Peter declared it to those people, and those people were all saved that day, over 3,000 souls, and they were all baptized, and they, were, and they were filled with the Spirit. And being filled with the Spirit was uh, expected of all believers. Amen. 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 Wherever the apostles went, you know, they preached the gospel, they laid hands on people, and those people received the Holy Spirit power. The power of God has been given, extended, put out there, and God has never retracted it or drawn it back. The gifts of God are without repentance. That means God is not what we used to call growing up an Indian giver. You know, we would, we would give the Indians land and then we'd take it away from them. You know, our, some of our forefathers, they, they, would, they would chase the Indians, you know, the natives off of the piece of land. We'd give them some desert out there, and then later they'd find gold or silver or copper on those de in the desert, and they'd go take that land back because it had value. 
and tell, tell those natives to go move somewhere else. Well, that's not how God operates. When God gives the gift, it, it, that gift is given. And he never takes it back. Hallelujah. Praise God. So the power of God is given. Everybody say, the power of God is given. To me. In an unending flow. Continually coming to me. Hallelujah. That's powerful stuff. You meditate on that till you get it, and it'll blow the top of your head off. I mean, it is, it is a powerful, powerful thought. Well, I'm going to tie that in with something else. And that's found here in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without a end. Amen. Don't forget the amen. amen. Now, let me read it again. Now, unto him, that's, that's God, unto Jesus, that is able. How many of you believe God is able? What is he able to do? He's able to do exceeding, Abundantly above all. All those adjectives add up to an extreme power, an extreme display of mighty power. Exceeding. Exceeding means uh, going beyond. Abundantly. Abundantly means overflowing. Above means beyond. And then all that we ask or think. You cannot ask or think of anything too hard for God. Amen. But it's, the next phrase qualifies it. It says, according to the power that works in us. All right. I, told, I spent a whole sermon last Sunday talking about the power that is in you. Well, that word worketh right there. You might want to underline or circle it in your Bible. That word worketh is the word energeia. Ener, it's the Greek word, energeia. It's the, it's the word we get our word energize or energy. And the word energeia means, means uh, power that is, that is energized or power that is activated and working. You see, God is able, no question about it. God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. God, God, God can blow your mind with his power. He can go way beyond whatever you, you need. You cannot test God's power. You can't think of a test that would test his power. And I'm talking the power that is in you. I'm talking about the power, the, the power that he has proportioned off for you. You can't exhaust it. You can't measure it. You can't even figure out how much it is. It's way beyond your ability to tax. Amen? But he says it's, 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 it's measured out in your life according to however much you activate. 
according to the power that exousia or is energized, energeia, energized within you. Everybody say energeia. Say, I'll never forget energeia. See, energeia is the switch that turns the power on. See, how much can God do in your life? He can do as much as you let him do. Amen? He can do as much as you will release him to do. Your faith is the measure of how much power is released in your life. Didn't Jesus say it over and over again? According to your faith, so be it unto you. Didn't he say that to people? According to your faith, shall it be unto you. Or thy faith hath made thee whole. Over and over and over again, he would tell people their faith is critical to how much of his power is manifested in their life and circumstances. So faith is critical. Would you agree? All right. Well, we know that in Hebrews 11 and verse 5, it says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. Enoch had the testimony that he pleased God. But that's not the end of the sentence. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, Enoch had the testimony that he pleased God because Enoch had faith in God. He believed that God is. How do we know? He walked with God every day. He found God and fellowshiped with God every day because he believed that God is. And that act of faith pleased God. Amen. And he also believed that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. No wonder Enoch diligently sought after God. Little known, little known fact about Enoch is uh, that was his last name. And when you see that in the Bible, in, in Hebrews 11, 5, and you read that in the, in the Genesis account, uh, it's a plural term, the Enochs. The Enochs walked with God. The Enochs had a good report with God. The Enochs pleased God. We're talking about Mr. and Mrs. Enoch. And Mr. and Mrs. Enoch suddenly disappeared off the face of the earth. Why? Because they pleased God so much that God says, you know, you think walking with me down here is fun. Come on up here where I live and walk with me up there. And that word, that word is a plural word. It, it's more than one person. You can build, you can build a whole teaching around that. God wants, God wants couples to believe him. He wants couples to fellowship with him. He wants husbands and wives to get down with him. Amen. And walk with him. 
and believe that he's real and believe that he'll reward them for their diligence in seeking him. Amen? Where two or more are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I mean, that, that's what God wants. He wants. He wants the whole community of the church to walk with him and please him by believing in him. Amen? Pleasing God then requires acting in faith, doesn't it? Without it, you can't please God. So faith is a, a, a key factor in pleasing God, but it's also a key factor in releasing the power of God in your life and circumstances. We were at breakfast this morning before coming to church, and uh, the waitress, Ruth, mentioned how she was limping around. And I noticed that she was limping around. I noticed those things. I do. I noticed those things. And she came over to the table, and I said, what are you limping for? And she says, well, I hurt my ankle or I hurt my foot, and I, I, it, it's painful, but I got to work. And I just reached out and touched her, and I said, well, in the name of Jesus, then, be healed. How else are we going to release it unless we release it? You know, I walked out of there, you know, th thinking, well, you know, I didn't ask her how she felt. I, I mean, she thanked us for, for doing it. I think Ingrid was on the other side of the table, and Ingrid grabbed her other arm, you know, and, boy, you know, we, two of us, any two of us, you'll agree. <laughs> we laid hands on it, and I know, I know, I know in my knower that the power of God was released. And I walk out of there, and I say, Lord, i got to go to church, so the rest of it's your job. Now, can I have any confidence at all that God is working in that woman's body? You say, well, is she a Christian? I don't know. It, it doesn't matter. Everybody Jesus healed. Listen, folks, Jesus, when he was on the earth, he did not heal one single person that was born again. 100% of the people Jesus healed and worked miracles for were unborn-again people. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know what he, was, what he had come for. They had no idea about the cross. They had no idea about the resurrection. Even his own followers didn't believe that. It didn't stop the power of God from being released into people's bodies or their eyes or their ears uh, or raising them from the dead. Amen. Amen. The power of God is on display for because God wants to show people in the world He cares about them and He loves them. But somebody's got to have the faith to turn it on. Turn that stuff on. Amen. Well, and I didn't tell that story about this morning because I'm wanting to brag on me. I'm just saying nothing would happen if I did nothing. But if you do something, that gives God the, the, the open door for something to happen. Amen. We were at another place, at another restaurant. <laughs> Ruth and I, we eat out, you know. And uh, one, one reason we do is because we, we like to mingle with people. And we were in this particular place where we knew, we knew the, the waitress. And most of the time, the waitress is a little firecracker. I mean, she's, she's up here. I mean, she's noisy. She's flamboyant. You know, one of these purple-haired people that, that has earrings that match her hair, you know, all this kind of stuff, and uh, just, you know, and just, she's just a, a, a ball of energy. Well, this particular day, she was dragging around, and I noticed, because I noticed things like that, 
And she was just kind of dragging, and she was doing her job. She was doing it well, but she wasn't her usual self. So finally, she came over to give us our bill, and I said, you're not your usual self today. What's going on? She said, my tummy hurts. So Ruth and I just laid hands on her and prayed for her tummy to be healed. In Jesus' name. She thanked us profusely, you know, and then we got up and left. Well, we did, we did our part. We released it. Now it's up to God to touch her tummy. How many of you believe God will he'll follow through? Bible says, the Bible says in Mark 16 that they went about everywhere preaching the gospel, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, and who worked with them? The Lord worked with them, confirming their words. And so we know that, that uh, pleasing God requires that we uh, act in faith, act like He is God, act like it's so. Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, Going down through the chapter, we found uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 7 through 10, that Noah's act of faith saved the human race from God's judgment. What if Noah had said, Lord, I never built a boat before. I don't even know what a boat is. It's never rained enough to float a boat. But, and, and God, it's going to take me 100 years to build this thing because I'm not going to have a whole lot of help. And I don't have any power tools. So I got to do everything the hard, slow way. I got to go out into the forest and cut down the trees. And then I got to drag the trees into camp and then I got to saw them apart. And then I got to figure out how I'm going to get them hoisted up and nailed down with these wooden peg nails that I got to make by ch chopping down tree limbs. He had to make the nails. He had to, ma he had to make everything. And he'd never done it before. But you know what? God told him to do it, and he acted on God's word, and he acted in faith, and that faith released the power and the ability of God to do the task. And when the flood came, the human race was saved because of one man's faith. Amen? Then we have also here in uh, uh, Hebrews 11, Abraham's act of faith ushered in God's redemptive plan. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. You see, Abraham did not know something. He did not know where he was going. He had no idea what was going to happen when he got there. He was just told to go out there, and God had something for him. God says, if you, if you just go, when you get to where I want you to go, I have something for you. I have an inheritance for you. So he obeyed. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham's act of obedience ushered in God's redemptive plan. It was through Abraham that the whole plan of salvation came about. And we're blessed with Father Abraham. He wasn't the, he wasn't the man you think he was. He was the son of an idolater. They were moon worshipers. 
they, they worshiped the moon. That meant they went out and howled at the moon. <laughs> and he was, he was uh, in that same religion. But he heard God. He heard the real God speak to him and say, go. And so he switched his faith on. And the power and energy of God entered into him and enabled him to go and obey and do and prosper and succeed. Was it always easy for Abraham? No, because Abraham was a man and he had limited knowledge. He didn't have a Bible to read. He didn't have Sunday school teachers to talk to him and give him Bible stories. He never heard of Abraham because he was Abram. Amen? He didn't know about Sodom and Gomorrah yet. But he obeyed God. His faith moved his feet, and he left his home country and all the riches and wealth because he was a prince in a, in a ruler's house. And they went out, not even knowing where they were going. Oh, that pleased God. It pleased God so much that God, God declared him to be righteous. And he had a lifelong history of obeying God. Faith is what enabled all the heroes of Hebrews 11 to avoid going back into their old default mode. Faith, faith kept Abraham from going back to the land of Ur. Amen? He never went back, never retreated, but he kept going. These all, in Hebrews eleven thirteen says, these all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had the opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Amen? Hebrews eleven twenty four talks about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. You see, faith will cause you to believe there's a reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. You see, Moses believed God is, and he believed that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so Moses... Faith is what enabled him to break away from Egypt's. Um, you know, Egypt was a powerful seduction for Moses. He was, in, he was in Pharaoh's household. He was rich. He was powerful. They had planned his destiny out. And it was to be a ruler in Egypt. But Moses' faith empowered him to break loose from that and to go after the one and true God. Amen? See, our faith enables us to run our race without failure. Hebrews 12, 1 and 3. 
1 through 3. Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Did Jesus succeed? Yes, he did. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You see, we're to take up the baton and run our race, believing that God will empower us with his mighty power, not only to finish the race, but to finish it well. Amen? Wherefore then, seeing we're also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Your faith will activate in you the ability to lay aside your sins and every weight that hinders you in the race so that you can run free, unencumbered, unweighted, undaunted. You can run, run, forest, run. Amen? Freedom. Your faith brings freedom from all bondages, all chains and restrictions and limitations over your life. That's what Jesus meant when he said, you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Amen. This is, this is the, the week where we celebrate freedom. We celebrate liberty. We know, we know that a lot of our freedoms have been stolen from us. A lot of our freedoms have been uh, just sold out from under us. We have had leaders that were traitors. Amen. And they were real slick at it. They would tell us what we wanted to hear, so we'd vote for them. And then they would get power, and then they would, you know, their true nature would show out. And they, we found out they weren't really on our side. But we do have a leader. His name is Jesus. And he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And he has given us the power to be free. And we can be free even in the midst of tyranny. We can run free. Amen. Amen. And we have the power. Listen, folks, the church has the power to take this country back. And by back, I don't mean back to where we've been. I'm talking about back to God. Amen. You know, if you know history, you know this country has had some dark history. I remember 1968. I was, I was 17 years old most of that year. Turned 18 in October. But I remember 1968. I remember the riots. I remember Bobby Kennedy's assassination, Martin Luther King's assassination. 
I remember the uh, Democratic National Convention in Chicago that ended up in a riot. The streets of Chicago burning. I remember, I remember that one year, and that was a long, long time ago. I was a teenager. And if you look back, if you remember, folks, you know, this country's had some dark times. Even before I came along, there was World War II. Before that, World War I, in between the Great Depression. Before that, you know, we had, we had the Civil War. Before the Civil War, we had the War of 1812. Before that, I mean, this country has, has known a lot of dark times. And not everything that was done was done right. And a lot of people were hurt. I personally think this is the greatest time to be alive. Because, you know, a lot of that stuff's behind us. We've overcome Martin Luther King prophesied it. <laughs> he predicted it on the, on the, on the steps uh, of uh, uh, the Lincoln Memorial. He said, We're gonna, we, we shall overcome. And we have a lot of stuff. Now, a lot of stuff we're still working on. A lot of stuff still got to be done. But when we, the church, realize the power that is ours, and we begin to have faith in the God that gave us that power, and we begin to act on that faith, that faith will be, will be uh, released in the earth. And that's what the Bible's talking about when it says the earth, the earth groans and travails waiting for the appearing or the manifestation of the sons of God. You see, the sons of God are in the earth today. That's us. That's you and me. That's weans. We're the sons of God. And the power of God resides in his people. And when that power gets switched on by the Enoch's of our day and the Abraham's of our day, the Moses's of our day, the Noah's of our day, when that power gets switched on, the world around us will change as we know it. Amen. We need to learn to switch that switch of faith on. How do we do it? Well, one way we do it is we make declarations. Instead of our prayer times being times of bemoaning and groaning and begging God to get us out of here, we need to use our prayer time, our time spent with God, believing that He is. Believing that He is God. And believing that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then we need to make declarations, kingly declarations, priestly declarations in our prayer time that will change the world around us. Amen? I want to give you six reasons for declarations of faith. First one's found in Psalm 45, 1. A declaration of faith will create faith in your own heart. You say, well, Pastor, I don't have any faith. Well, start declaring faith. Amen. And it'll grow in your own heart. Psalm 45, 1. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. 
you need to get some ink in your mouth. <laughs> Amen? And you need to begin to write, declaring prophetically what is going to happen in you, in your circumstances, around you, and through you, and in the community, and the world beyond. Amen. You need to talk about what's going on in the world like you have the power to do something about it. That's right. Because you do. And when you hear yourself speak words of faith, faith cometh by what? Hearing, hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So if you'll start speaking God's Word and believing God's Word, faith will grow in your own heart. Secondly, it's found in Psalm 119, verse 130. We create light when we make declarations. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. Now he's talking to God, but if it's true of God, it's true of you. You've got to realize we're in God. God is in us. And so if the entrance of his word brings light, when you speak, you shed light. Yeah, some of you are having problems with that. Darkness is death. Light is life. Jesus said, I am the light of life. Amen? So when we speak his words and we declare his words with our own mouth, we are spreading light. We're, and if we believe in those words, we're lighting up the world around us. Amen? Don't under estimate the power and impact of that. Words of light bring light and dispels darkness. You know, one of the problems with our country and the world today is there's a gross darkness that has come across the land. What are we going to do about all this darkness? Well, we're not going to stand out on the edge of it and say, Woo, it's dark out here. I don't believe I've ever seen it so dark. Ingrid, it's getting dark. I'm, I'm telling you, every time I look out here, it's darker than it was before. Oh, dark, and it's dark, and it's darkness. That's not how you get rid of it. The way you get rid of it is say, light be. Light be. Speak the light of truth into the world around us. Open your mouth and declare what's true. And that truth will dispel the darkness. Amen. And then Luke 6.45, when you make declarations of faith, it creates blessings. It says, a good man out of the good treasury of his heart brings forth good things. A good man out of the good treasury of his heart brings forth good things. How, how do they... Well, let me ask you this. Look at the person next to you. Do you think there's some goodness in that person's heart? How many of you would say, I, I, I believe there is some goodness in this person's heart? Well, it's true of you too. How can we get that goodness to come out? By speaking. By speaking. 
A good man out of the good treasury, his heart brings forth good things. So if there's goodness in your heart, start speaking the goodness. Start talking about the good things. And speak no evil. <laughs> My mama said, if you can't say something good about somebody, don't say anything at all. Well, I want to add to what my mama said. If you want good things to happen, say good things. If there's an evil person, find something good to say about them. Amen? like the boy went to a dance and his mama told him he said you, you, find, you find the ugliest person there and you ask them to dance with you and while you're dancing with that girl you find something good and positive to say about her so he went to the dance he was on assignment and sure enough there was this girl sitting in a corner and she was, she was so big, she was taking up two chairs. She was very large. And he looked around, tried to find somebody else, and he said, no, she's, she's the winner. And so he went and invited her to dance. And they're dancing, and he's trying to think of something good to say about her. He's trying to think of some positive thing to say. And finally, he looked into her eyes, and he says, girl, for a fat person, you don't sweat much. <laughs> he found something good to say. But he was, he was searching. He was searching. That's a true story. And it wasn't me. <laughs> Amen. But it's a true story. Hey, she's probably blessed. First time somebody said something nice about her. Amen. Listen, folks, I don't think you have to look that long and that hard to find some good thing about somebody to compliment them up. Amen. Especially the present company of beautiful people. Lovely inside and outside. Amen? So get your, get, your, get your light going, your blessing going, and start, start making these faith confessions that are based on truth. You see, when we talk about making faith confessions, a lot of people automatically default to this idea that you're, you're, you're confessing something that's not true. We've got enough truth to brag about. We don't have to come up with something that's not true. About God or about one another. You can find something good. Amen? If you look hard enough, long enough, you, like, that, like that little boy, you'll find something good. Amen? And then uh, when we make faith declarations, we're, uh, we're telling the devil, it is written. <laughs> Amen. The Bible calls that, that the sword of the Spirit. 
the Word of God. We command mountains to be moved. Amen. Mark eleven twenty four says, If you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and you uh, don't doubt in his heart, but believe that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, I know that makes religious people's, you know, it upsets them. But it's in red letters in my Bible. It means Jesus said this. He said, for assuredly. He said, have faith in God. For assuredly. Jesus said, assuredly. I say to you, whoever. That means me. You know the song, Whosoever surely meaneth me, surely meaneth me, oh, surely meaneth me. That's me. Whoever is me, every, say it, whoever is me. So you could write your name above whoever. I say to you, when Ronnie Thomason says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, what things soever you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. I'm telling you, that's the switch that releases the power of God. I'm not the one who moves the mountain. Oh, I'm so thankful that burden and responsibility is off my shoulders. I don't have to worry about how the mountain's going to be moved. I don't have to worry about when the mountain's going to be moved. All I have to do is switch my faith on, and the power of God goes to work. Do you believe that? That's what Jesus said. Whatsoever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. I sure like the way he talks. When Jesus speaks, he speaks with authority, and he speaks with definitiveness, and there's no qualification, there's no loopholes. All you've got to do is believe and speak, and you shall receive. Why? Because his almighty power is at your disposal. And your faith is what activates it. So as we begin to operate in this life, and I say begin because a lot of Christians have yet begun to fight. They had not got started yet. We need to be like John Paul Jones, the first admiral of any Navy the United States ever had. He was the, he was the uh, captain of the Bonham Richard, the only one of the only frigates that the United States colonies owned. And he goes out against a mighty warship of the British Navy. And they turn all their cannons on his little ship, and they blow the Bonham Richard right out of the water. And so he stands up on what's left of his boat, and he motions to the British ship, and like this, you know, and... and uh, They, they move that big British 
battleship closer and closer to his wreck. And they say, are you ready to give up? Are you ready to surrender? And who knows what he said. I have yet begun the fight. And at that moment, he and his men jumped onto the British warship and took it captive and captured the mighty warship that had blown their boat out of the water. When it looks like our boat is sinking and the devil says, well, y'all ready to surrender? We need to have the same answer. We've just begun to fight. Hallelujah. Wait till I flip this switch. Amen? I will exousia and I will energeia and I will dunamis you. I'm about ready to fry you just by flipping this little switch here and releasing my faith. Are you ready? Boop. Now, the fight is on. I believe that in this time in our country and around the world, God is waking up his people. And I believe that the, the prayer of Paul, when Paul asked God to reveal to his people the power that is in them, the power that is coming toward them without interruption, the power of the, of the resurrection. I believe that God is answering that prayer of Paul, and I believe the church, the people of God, are rising up with understanding and revelation concerning what's at their fingertips, and I believe people are going to be filled with faith and flip that switch, and the world will change right under our feet. Our words will carry more power and more authority to change things in this world for the glory of God. Amen? Because we are called to be a kingdom of world changers. Hallelujah. I honor George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, John Paul Jones, Patrick Henry, all of those great founders who on July the 4th, 1776, pledged their honor, their fortunes, and their very lives and signed a paper of rebellion against tyranny. They weren't rebelling just against King George. They were rebelling against being enslaved. Taxation without representation. All of that. All their grievances were laid out, and they signed their names to it, knowing that the moment the ink dried, they would be sought after, chased after, and labeled traitors and rebels. And that the greatest navy, the greatest military force on the earth would be seeking them to destroy them. They had no might and they had no power. All they had was muskets. And the British, first thing they did is they came after those muskets. These patriots were in church that day. Worshiping the Lord. And all their muskets were stacked at the door. And the pastor issued a call to arms. Presbyterian pastor. 
the men rushed out, grabbed their muskets, and met the British soldiers on Concord Bridge. And a shot rang out that was heard around the world. And America's war of independence began. Most of those men lost their fortunes. Many of them lost their lives. Many of their family members were killed. All of them suffered in one degree or another. Their fortunes were, were consumed by the war effort. And even then, it wasn't enough. So God began to move in divine ways. He sent storms. He sent uh, the French. He sent different ways God intervened on behalf of these, of these committed patriots. And the war of freedom was won. Not that year, not the next year, but 1783. Many years later, America won its war of independence. But it wasn't over then. There were already sinister forces trying to bring America down. Eight, the War of 1812, the British thought they would just come back and retake the colonies. And they burned Washington, D.C. to the ground. They were running through Washington, D.C., burning every building, burning the White House. They burned, they burned down the White House. They were headed for the Library of Congress. And God's people began to pray. And a tornado struck Washington, D.C. And huge hailstorms fell out of the clouds and killed the British horses and scattered what didn't die. And the British says, we got, we got to get out of here. Even God is against us. And they left before finishing the burning of Washington, D.C. In another part of the country, you know, after that war was already decided, news didn't travel very fast, and so they had this little battle of New Orleans. Andy Jackson whipped up on the British there. The one who this town's named after. No, not a perfect man, not in the least. Don't agree with a lot of things he did. I don't, I don't agree with what he did to the Native Americans. I don't agree with that trail of tears stuff and in, in the relocating the natives. And, and a lot of things he did that were just wrong. But the one thing he did do that was right was he fought on the right side for the right cause. And God used him, God used him to uh, establish the nation even, even further in 1812. But they were still sinister forces. There was this slavery thing still at work in this country. There was, there was some economic slavery going on. The North was persecuting the South and trying to put the South under their control. The South was fighting back, not, not, not just so they could keep their slaves, but so they could retain their statehood and their state sovereignty. Many of them fought in the Civil War because, uh, you know, for states' rights. That's what caused Robert E. Lee to resign his commission in the U.S. Army 
and join the Confederacy. It was because he wanted Virginia to be free. Well, we know he was on the wrong side. He was on the losing side. But it took years and years and years for the country to heal over all that. We're still healing. It's not a perfect country, people. But there is no perfect country. And we can groan and moan and complain about all the sins of our fathers and all the sins of the past. And we can demand reparations. We can demand, you know, that, you know, uh, that one race bows down and, and, and repents to another race. And none of that, none of that's going to solve the problems. There's only one thing that's going to solve the problem, and that's the power of God. That's the almighty power of God released in this nation. And revival, the revival that we're praying for and the revival that we are confessing and declaring with our mouths is going to make a nation greater than this nation has ever been. Because you know what America needs more than anything? They need more believing Christians. And so... Let the believing Christians rise up. Let the believing Christians rise up and let that power that is in us be manifested. Amen? Amen. Amen. So stand up with me. And I want you, with, along with everybody else that's here, I want you to just open your mouth and start making a faith declaration over your country, over your family, and over yourself. Amen. You say, Pastor, I don't know what to say. Well, say something unless you say nothing. Because unless you say something, nothing is released. Amen. Father God, right now in the name of Jesus, I release my faith for revival in the church. For revival in America. And beyond that, I release my faith for a reformation on this nation. Lord, let your Holy Spirit be poured out upon our sons and our daughters. Let the Holy Ghost call the backsliders back into the house. In Jesus' name. I speak revival, restitution, reconciliation, and reformation over this nation. I release my faith, Father God. I believe that you are God, and you're able to save America. And I thank you. I, I thank you, Lord, that you're bringing down the unrighteous and the ungodly, and you're raising up righteous, righteous leaders. I praise you, Lord, for unity among the believers. Hallelujah. Thy will be done in the earth even as it is in heaven. And I say it all in the name of Jesus. All in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that my family, every member of my family, all my in-laws, all my outlaws, they're all saved and serving you in the body of Christ. I call it to be so. In Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen?